What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, and this week we were trying to bring you a pretty special episode. Uh, June is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and Adam had been talking to Dean Brenner, who's a Duke alum and member of the National Board of Directors for the Alzheimer's Association, and kind of set this thing up, and we were able to get Dr. Heather Whitson and Dr. Gwen Garden. Dr. Whitson is a professor of medicine at Duke University, and Dr. Garden is a professor and department chair of neurology at UNC Chapel Hill. So we thought this was a pretty cool opportunity to have them come on and talk about the Duke UNC Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, the Alzheimer's Association, and just get a little bit more um, awareness out there uh, for you all. Um, so with that said, I'll hand it off to Dr. Whitson and Dr. Garden and let them introduce themselves a little bit more and talk about what they got going on over there. Sure. Well, I'm Heather Whitson, and uh, we are so excited for this Duke UNC Alzheimer's Disease Center. We are one of 33 that the NIH funds um, as a center of excellence in Alzheimer's disease. So we received our funding in the fall, and our mantra, our tagline has been, when it comes to fighting Alzheimer's disease, we're all on the same team. And I think a lot of the other centers have actually taken inspiration from the fact that Duke and UNC, if Duke and UNC could come together to fight Alzheimer's disease, then we, we, we all have a role to play in fighting this disease. So um, it's, been a, it's been a great collaboration um, from the start. And I'm happy to, to talk about some of the, the things that we have going on from really cutting edge research uh, across basic science um, and, and laboratory research to uh, a main focus of ours is enrolling uh, people uh, in research, and we'd love to talk more about that. And also a lot of outreach um, connection to care and services um, across the state. Um, and I'll, I'll turn it over to Gwen to, to get her comments as well. Hi, I'm Gwen Garden. I am the chair of the neurology department at UNC, and I came to UNC just in 2019 in the summer. So I haven't been in North Carolina very long. But uh, really pretty soon after I arrived, um, I was very warmly welcomed by the people at Duke who are involved in Alzheimer's disease research as, as a member of the Alzheimer's disease research team. So we uh, decided after a short period of time that it would be beneficial to everyone for us to get together and work towards uh, having an NIH-funded Alzheimer's Center and I will also add that at UNC, we are really trying very hard to improve our ability to provide care and access for patients and their families who have dementia. And that is something that um, I think many institutions around the country are trying to do because there's so much happening in the field that um, it's really no longer the case that patients with dementia should feel that there's nothing for them to do about having dementia. That, that used to be the, the thought. You went to your family doctor, they said, well, it looks like you might have dementia, there's not a lot we can do. But now there's more and more that can be done and also so much research happening that we are really trying to make sure people know that they should come in and get evaluated and hear about what might be available for them. I'm curious too, a little bit, like if you could maybe, and not to turn this into a dissertation or anything, but like synthesize a little bit, just the overall body of like literature and research of where kind of dementia and Alzheimer's kind of has been the last 15 or 20 years and where we're hoping to head going forward. When I'm going to let you take that one as, as neurologist, I, I have been at Duke uh, and in the field of aging, I've been in North Carolina a lot longer than Gwen. She has been directly in the field of Alzheimer's disease longer than me. I'm bringing sort of a, a new perspective of, of aging to Alzheimer's disease. So Gwen, why don't you take that one? So uh, we'll start off by saying that we have come to the recognition over the last 20 years or so that there are multiple types of dementia and Alzheimer's is one type of dementia. And what distinguishes Alzheimer's from all of the other kinds of dementia is what we call the pathology, meaning the things 
that are happening biologically in the brain to individuals with the specific form of dementia that we call Alzheimer's disease. And in this specific form, different types of what are called pathological proteins accumulate inside of the brain. So people will have abnormal amounts of certain proteins that form unusual accumulations inside of neurons and outside of neurons. Outside of neurons, it's called amyloid. And inside of neurons, they're called neurofibrillary tangles that are composed of a protein called tau. And what's really happening now in the world of Alzheimer's disease is that specific therapies aimed at trying to remove these abnormal deposits of amyloid and tau are being developed and tested. So if you can be diagnosed with this specific form, Alzheimer's disease, there are trials that you can be in to um, determine if some of these therapies might be beneficial. And we can now, and this is really also relatively new, um, more effectively diagnose and determine who is most likely to have this Alzheimer's disease form of dementia using a combination of different types of tests. So people are probably familiar with going to the doctor and getting blood tests or having a CT scan or an MRI scan. And now we've come up with a series of these types of tests that involve um, uh, having an MRI scan and also um, having currently some tests on your cerebrospinal fluid. So it's called a lumbar puncture when we remove some fluid from the area around the brain and spine. And these abnormal proteins can be tested in the fluid that's coating the brain and spine. And we can put together the information that we get from that fluid, as well as the MRI scan, and uh, predict fairly accurately who actually has Alzheimer's disease as a cause of their dementia. And we can do that very, very early so even at the very earliest phases when people have minimal um, complaints of loss of memory or difficulty with uh, coming up with the right words for things, um, we can actually detect who may have Alzheimer's disease. And if people are in that category, uh, they're potentially recruitable into these trials. Yeah, I was looking at the the study a little bit on the website, and we'll link that um, in the description. But it really it was stood out to me as it seemed, and I'm not obviously in the field, but it was really geared on like a preventative standpoint versus like a maintenance, which is kind of typically what I think of when I think of Alzheimer's, um, dealing with my grandmother who is diagnosed with dementia. Um, and so it really stood out recruiting at a younger age. I'm also curious to like, is there any role of like, I know, you know, epigenetics is just a huge thing right now. Um, talking about kind of behavioral environmental factors and how that might play into this. Does that come into play for you all? Sure. So, you know, our theme is understanding these age-related factors across the whole lifespan that contribute to the development of Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, we really think of Alzheimer's disease, not just as a disease of older people, you know, not just a late life disease, but in fact, a disease that manifests for most people in very late life. But the changes that have been leading to those symptoms have begun in the brain years to decades before the memory loss is obvious. And so our real interest is in trying to understand those changes that happen. Some of them are at the molecular cellular level, um, and some of them are at the whole person level and maybe even related to things like people's life experiences, um, you know, amount of stress that they're exposed to through their life and um, things like that. So, you know, I, I think one of the ways that our center is in some ways different than those other 32 centers around the country is, you know, we, we're running a large study about Alzheimer's disease where we are mostly recruiting people who don't have Alzheimer's disease yet. So we're trying to recruit people who have a family history um, or who, who know that they have a genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. And we're collecting the information from them in that window of time when we hypothesize that those changes are happening, that in many of our 
participants will eventually lead to Alzheimer's disease. But as we follow them, we'll be able to track changes in things like epigenetics um, or other molecular cellular changes that happen with aging. Um, one thing that we're very interested in, for example, is um, the perimenopause time in women seems to be a time that, that uh, metabolic changes happen that, that may be linked to the disease later. So I, I know this, the, the, the genesis for this podcast obviously came from me reaching out to Dean and just kind of asking how I could get involved in the Alzheimer's Association. Um, I, my dad was recently put in a long-term memory care facility like uh, three weeks ago, and I've just kind of been compelled to see, to figure out what I can do. So it's obviously is in my family history. I know it's in Josh's, Steve's. It doesn't sound like John's going to be able to, to join us, but uh, just speaking for myself, how can I sign up for these clinical trials like tomorrow? Send me an email tonight. <laughs> I'll sign you up tonight. <laughs> okay. Like I, I, this is like perfect timing. And it's, it's, it's amazing to hear you all talk about these trials. And what, what I, I think what Dr. Garden mentioned was that this is all is relatively new. I'm curious myself, you know, I, I hear you talking about trying to get people enrolled and, and trying to, you know, track these changes earlier in the, in the stages of potentially having the disease or at least having some sort of exposure to it. Um, how far along in the process of the disease are you looking at enrolling people in the clinical trials? Like, for instance, my father, late stage Alzheimer's, we, we believe, dementia. I mean, is that kind of too late? for the kinds of treatments that you're, that you're looking to so, research? Yeah. So I'll take this one. So, um, so most people kind of understand that um, when it comes to the brain, um, you hear a lot of things like, you know, use it or lose it. And that we have only so many neurons and the neurons really don't, um, if you lose them, they really don't come back. So, uh, so it's an area of the body where there's just not a lot of, there's some, but not a lot of regeneration once things um, have been lost. So what we're trying to do in the Alzheimer's field and actually really in the dementia field all the way around is come up with ways of preventing people from losing those synapses and neurons um, in the first place. And so identifying people who have pathologic processes that have been initiated and trying to interrupt those pathologic processes before they uh, lose those cells and, and or those connections between the cells. So, um, so really what we're looking for in our Alzheimer's Center are patients who don't have any symptoms, um, or I shouldn't say patients, research participants who don't have any symptoms because they don't have any symptoms, they're not patients, right? And then also for people who have very, very early um, mild symptoms or think they might have symptoms, but um, maybe if we did some testing, we couldn't really detect anything. Those, um, those individuals at that very early stage are, uh, we are enrolling them in the ADRs in the Alzheimer's Center program, at, um, but they're also people who are highly sought after for other clinical trials that are being run by, um, uh, well, they're, they're basically trials that are run at many, many different places around the country, including Duke and UNC. So if people fall into that category where they can be diagnosed with having what we call probable Alzheimer's disease. Um, and there are some other forms of dementia as well. We also have clinical trials for some, some of those uh, that are not Alzheimer's disease. Um, and so those are the people who are being recruited into these trials to try to use different agents to arrest pathology um, while uh, they still have neurons and synapses intact. Pretty fascinating. Um, I remember when my grandmother was diagnosed, I was uh, considering doing my dissertation on like dementia related, so more um, more on the mental, mental health side of things. So I was looking at kind of caregiver supports, but I am curious for her, what I noticed, my conceptualization of like Alzheimer's or dementia was more memory related. Um, and she has that where she gets stuck in loops, 
but I didn't realize that it can often kind of mimic stroke-like symptoms with the loss of voice. And, and I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about that side of the research. And I don't think many people are aware of how impactful it is across the entire body. Yeah, I would, I would, I guess, speak to, um, you know, one thing that we get to do as a center, that's one of the, the, the most fun kind of uh, times of year in our center is we put out these calls um, for people to apply to be scholars within the center or to get pilot awards within the center. Um, so we get to, to fund and support um, great research that's going on out there at Duke and UNC. And one of the scholars this year um, uh, is, uh, is somebody who's focusing on, on sort of exactly that, um, trying to intervene. And it is in those people that are in the, in the later stages. Um, and she's creating this thing that is, is literally a tangible toolkit that caregivers can take home with them and have things, you know, one example would be like a weighted blanket that sometimes for, for people that may um, begin to particularly in the evening or something um, want to get up and pace or have difficulty with sleep wake cycles, just a weighted blanket can be sort of a comforting um, thing that a caregiver can use. And similarly, she has other things in the toolkit to address those kind of issues that you're talking about that come, come out. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, dementia causes people's appetite to decline. It causes people's sleep wake cycle to be disrupted. It causes changes in language abilities. Um, just having toolkits to sort of deal with, with those symptoms um, and, and even being able to train caregivers that those are symptoms of dementia is really important. Yes, and um, also people sort of lose the ability to avoid falling. And um, falling can be a big problem in patients with dementia, both because they uh, have trouble with balance and gait sometimes, but also because they don't have that ability to plan um, and avoid a trip hazard. So um, we, you know, we work with, uh, well, I, I would actually say the the field of geriatrics is even better than us, but in general, um, you know, the, there, there is also research for patients who have later stage dementia and trying to avoid some of the complications of dementia, like fall avoidance, avoiding hospitalizations, um, which also tend to make dementia worse, worse. And, um, you know, and, and also just trying to preserve function. There's a lot of different, uh, research going on um, in that area as well. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because one of my, the first symptoms as we looked back in, in hindsight was my grandmother would have like, as she would standing up for long periods, her legs would start to shake or her knees would get a little wobbly. And then eventually it led to some falls and it, it kind of ended up being a full blown thing, but they first were assessing her for like stroke or pinched nerve or these other kind of, I guess, you know, things that we cross off, right. As we go up the ladder. Um, but you know, now if maybe we would have known some of that, then maybe there would have been some options for at least kind of slowing the rate. Um, you know, I, I've looked into, read a lot of stuff about like neuroplasticity and all of that when we were going through this, trying to help figure it out. Um, but it's so difficult, I think just for, you know, maybe like a primary care provider or something to, to really hit on that level of symptoms and what else could lead to this. So, um, yeah, I think I, I think that's an interesting point, Josh, because I, I remember when my dad was first showing signs, and it was really hard for us as a family to tell him, like, we think something's really wrong with you because we didn't know ourselves. So I'm wondering if, if the doctors have any, you know, any things that we could tell any of our listeners who might be going through something similar to that early stage that like, all right, these are, you know, this isn't just like, hey, your dad is getting old. It's like. You might want to go talk to a neurologist about this. Uh, do you, is there like a, I'm sure there's stuff online everywhere, but I, I, we, I feel like we have the brains to talk to here. So. <laughs> you know, one thing that I always start by telling people is that many times changes in your memory as we age are not, are not dementia or Alzheimer's. And so one thing I think people are afraid to go and get an evaluation because they're afraid of what they might find out and maybe the stigma associated with it, or, or as Glenn was saying earlier, kind of the old teaching, which was, well, there's really just nothing that can be done. So why would I want to know this? Um, you know, like so, a broken rib, like you right. can't, can't fix it. <laughs> right. Just suffer through it. 
Um, so, so now that, that there are so many opportunities and I think more of it will come out in the next year, we'll, we'll see even more, um, opportunities for, for, for people to, to get treatment, even if at this time it may be through a trial or experimental treatment, but, but promising treatments, um, people should go and get an evaluation. And also because, you know, many, I'm, I'm a geriatrician, not a neurologist. Many times, you know, we find people are depressed or have thyroid problems or, you know, other issues that, that might be explaining the, the memory symptoms that they have, and it can be reassuring. Um, and even, even if people find out the thing that they're, that they're fearful of finding out, we now have many things we can offer. And I, I would add that the stigma issue is, is one our parents' generation deals with. There's, there's really no question that um, that it's difficult for them to accept that this might be going on because it does still feel to them um, something they wouldn't want other people to know. I think it's, I guess, on our generation to try to talk with our parents before they become affected and make sure that they understand that it's worth coming forward with their symptoms because there are things that we can do about it. And even outside of clinical trials, we find that um, there are uh, many things that we can do, even for patients who will eventually be diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease that can slow the process. And one of those is treating undiagnosed sleep disorders. Um, that is something we find that really does make a difference. So somebody could be having very mild symptoms, they get their sleep disorder treated and their symptoms improve. And we don't have great data on this, but we assume because of that initial improvement that therefore then they're kind of starting off on their trajectory from a, from a you know, better place. And um, another thing that can happen is people take too many medications that influence their um, cognition. And this happens not infrequently when people have sleep disorders because, you know, they're, they're struggling with sleep or they're sleeping, you know, um, they, they can't get to sleep or, and they take sleeping pills. Um, and those individuals also can um, feel like they're developing cognitive decline. And um, then if we can treat that, you know, use treatments for insomnia um, that are, not dependent on medications, we can also get them to a, to a better starting place. So even if they are going to decline, it, it does so more slowly. Another, you know, easy fix that, that has been a subject of my research is fixing vision and hearing when we can. So addressing, you know, give you think about, even if the person does have Alzheimer's disease or another dementia, what does the brain rely on to do its job? It relies on it, the five senses. And so um, particularly vision and hearing, that's how the brain gets its input. So um, if in addition, people have very, you know, it's very common changes with age, loss of hearing or, or changes in vision. Um, we, we believe and, and hopefully soon we'll have um, solid data to, to support this, that, that improving people's hearing with hearing aids puts them on a better course, um, even if they have dementia. Yeah, I know. I recently read some, some interesting um, anecdotal evidence on, on uh, the, ability, the inability for lower income people to get hearing aids can lead to like cognitive decline. And, and it seemed like in a recent, maybe it was Medicare bill or something like that, for, was gonna, going to allow for hearing aids to be uh, distributed over the counter. That's right. It's just a, a really positive um, policy change um, that will improve access to grenades and and hopefully also advance technology pretty quickly. Already, I'd say you know hearing aids available today are not like my grandfather's hearing aids were when I was a little girl, and they howled all the time. And he did this a lot. You know, he leaned forward and cupped his ear a lot. Um, they're much better now, and I think we'll get get. Um, we'll, we'll see even more advances in that technology. So I'm not the podcast host. That is, that is Josh. But I did want to bring this a little bit back to basketball. The Duke UNC. I know you all talked about the slam dunk 
effort is that like kind of just like cloak like is that in that specific event that's coming later this month yes that's an annual event and slam dunk actually stands for students learning about alzheimer's disease in medicine at duke and unc Oh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I should say that we also we have our our center is is uh, the the two primary schools are Duke and UNC Chapel Hill, but we have partner schools with NCCU, ECU, and UNC. So uh, students who are interested in all these from those schools will be coming to campus as well, and the slam dunk will rotate which campus it's on, Chapel Hill or Durham. And this year it's on. Which campus? This year it's at, at, at Duke. At so Duke. Jewish Alumni Center. Um, and we'll be hosting. We have um, a number of people coming in from around the state. And it's a gala. It sounded like it was like already booked completely. It's not open to the public, right? It's not open to the public. <laughs> but, um, but but it's it's sort of a, a learning environment for the students. Part of it is we really focus on the scholars. Um, one of our real missions is to improve the workforce of, of people who are studying uh, dementia and caring for people with dementia. One of our big goals there too is to really diversify the workforce. And I think, I guess that's another thing that, that we like to talk about and are really passionate about is in addition to really shifting our patient population to a younger um, and, and less symptomatic patient population. The other thing that we are really trying to do is to make this center about um, access to research and care for everyone uh, in North Carolina. And we have a really um, diverse state with, with a lot of richness in terms of racial and ethnic diversity, as well as rural um, urban diversity. And we really want to see all of that uh, represented in what we do in the center. Historically, um, Alzheimer's disease evidence base has been mostly built on higher socioeconomic people, majority European ancestry. Um, and that's something that we're really striving to correct. And we think that diversifying the workforce is one way that we do that. So I think uh, it's also important to mention that uh, dementia is more common in several of the underrepresented groups. And we do need to work harder at making it possible for people to participate in research who may have um, less economic resources. And uh, there are a number of things that we're doing to try to improve access to participate in these studies. So um, I should mention, we do provide compensation for the participant and for their research partner. So it could be a spouse, it could be an adult child, it could be a friend. Um, and we do uh, compensate both uh, participants for their time. And we can provide transportation and are, are very open to seeking ways to, to break down barriers. The other barrier that I think we're um, trying to break down and we realize takes time uh, is the trust barrier. I think that there's really, there are reasons that are very justified and, and, and rooted in, in history for why some underrepresented groups are skeptical about coming in and, and being part um, of a research study. Um, and my uh, sister-in-law, who's on the faculty at UNC Pembroke and has been helping us with some outreach um, events there, taught me a great phrase, which is, we move at the speed of trust. Um, and so we're, we're really looking to build trust um, by getting out into to, um, communities and, and talk to people and get to know people. Um, and, and spread awareness um, about the disease and, and, and also how, how we all benefit from participation in the research. And put some trust, trusted faces too to the cause, which I think is part of the slam dunk effort. We've got some videos that were recorded by some very trusted people in the area. Uh, I know Coach K and, and Roy Williams both recorded a, a video for the slam dunk effort and uh, really looking forward to, uh, to highlighting those and getting those out there and, and just making sure everybody sees those along with the release of this podcast. So, um, I, I just want to say thank you for coming on and, and giving us your time here, Josh, uh, Josh and Steve. 
and Dean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this has been great for me. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. It's, it's, you know, um, gracious for your time, you know, to come in and talk about it. And I really liked at the end that you, I had a question down here. I was going to ask about kind of representation and how culture is impacted because you had talked about, um, the mental health side. And we know that, you know, mental health impacts certain populations at a significantly higher rate, right? And historically, there hasn't been a space for these people to come in. And so if all of our research is being normed on people that look like me, then we have an issue, right? Like we're, we're putting people in boxes that sometimes they don't fit in. Um, so I really appreciate you talking about that and, you know, everything else that, that y'all got going on. Steve or Dean, if y'all want to jump in at the end here. I just want to say I'd, I've been listening this whole time, and the first thing I just want to say it's it's a real honor just to be a part of this, uh, and 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 listen to not only the the expertise uh, that the good doctors have had to share uh, with the with the wisdom that they've that they've gleaned in their positions, but just to hear your path, just to hear your passion, it's uh, it's truly amazing just to hear people who are in the field trying to help people uh, with from all walks of life and. You know, speaking for myself, I lost my grandmother uh, uh, to dementia and Alzheimer's uh, back in 2020, and I didn't know about it. I didn't know about any of this. I mean, it's you know, she was like many who it was kind of a long, uh, long haul, long process, and uh, you know, seeing her go through this and and knowing that there are resources like this out there, it's uh, it's just amazing. So. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm sorry that you had that experience. Many of us in this center were doctors, but we're also, we all, similarly, many of us, myself included, have been touched by the disease in our family, and it really does motivate a lot of what we do. Same here. It's, uh, it's so gratifying to hear what the two of you are saying. It's, um, it links up with everything that I advocate for here in Washington, D.C. all the time. And it's why we lobby for NIH funding to create centers like the one that you're creating and that we deal, try to explain to members of Congress how essential this research is. Uh, and most of all, to ensure that people don't feel that they're going through it alone. Most of us well, I, I do feel that way. And it's such a shame since, you know, there are 6 million people with Alzheimer's. There are 11 million family members going through this. Nobody's alone, yet everyone feels that way. And thank you so much, the two of you, for everything you're doing, to, most of all, to break that down. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for covering this topic. Um, I, we, we appreciate it, and, and we appreciate your time. And I, I wanted to say also how much we appreciate Coach K and Coach Williams um, for putting together those videos and giving their time. As you'll see, they, um, they're um, spirited champions um, of this cause, um, as, as they are both always spirited champions in all that they do. Um, but we really appreciated them taking that, that time and, and being so personal um, in the well wishes that they gave to the center. And, uh, and I also want to thank your audience for... Uh, taking the time to listen um, because you know, we don't have many opportunities to reach out beyond um, the audience of people who regularly want to hear about the latest in medical research and to be able to reach out to sports fans, I think is a, it's a really good opportunity and, and we're really happy that you gave us this chance. Absolutely. You know, the pleasure is ours for sure. And, you know, Good segue there. Where do we direct people to for the listeners, for fans that maybe want to get involved or learn more about this? Should we send them to the website or what's the best way they can kind of learn more about this? I think the website is probably the the best way to get to us. And, and uh, you can share that or people can just Google Duke UNC Alzheimer's Disease Research Center and they should land on our website. And it has lots of buttons um, for different ways that they can get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for Dr. Whitson and Dr. Garden for coming on and talking to us about the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. If you want to get involved, go over there, check it out. If you're really interested, sign up and be a participant. Um, we need to get this stuff done. This research needs to get out there. And if you're not super familiar, it takes a while for research to get going, right? It's a, publications. It's a it's a drag. So, you know, the, the sooner the better, um, you know, no time like today. So, again, thank you all for coming on.
All right. Well, we also have uh, Dean Brenner here with us today. And, and first off, thanks, Dean, for setting all of this up and really spearheading this initiative. Um, you know, it's been a real pleasure and honor on our end to to host this and get the word out. Uh, if you're not familiar, Dean is a Duke alum. He's also a member of the National Board of Directors for the Alzheimer's Association uh, up in D.C. there. And so, Dean, I'll hand it off to you and you can kind of talk a little bit about that and yourself. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Oh, hey, thanks so much. Uh, great to be on your podcast, you know, I'm, um, I, I tweet usually about two things, uh, Duke basketball, which is how I interacted first with Adam and then, uh, Alzheimer's. So like many people, um, you know, I was personally in- impacted with by Alzheimer's with my mom, my mom passed away from it in 2018 and, um, was first diagnosed in 2015. And I really knew nothing about Alzheimer's or, uh, healthcare. I live in Washington, D.C. She was in New Jersey. I didn't know what I was going to do. And through the po- process of taking care of her, I learned so much about Alzheimer's. And I found that, number one, I'm not alone, that there are 6 million people who have Alzheimer's and roughly at least 11 million family members trying to take care of that 6 million. So Alzheimer's is so pervasive. And then even more than that, that there is this amazing group, the Alzheimer's Association which is the world's largest group advocating for people with Alzheimer's and dementia in so many different dimensions. So just to name a few things that we do at the Alzheimer's Association. So um, we are the largest nonprofit in the world funding research into Alzheimer's. So um, Alzheimer's research, number one in the world is the U.S. government through the National Institute of Health, which is the group part of the government that's funding the Duke and UNC Center. Number two would be the Chinese government. And number three is the Alzheimer's Association. So this year we will um, fund uh, $88 million about roughly in in Alzheimer's research. And we have uh, deep relationships with all the Alzheimer's researchers all around the world, actually. And we convene a conference every year. Uh, I'm sure the Duke and UNC uh, group will have folks at that research conference, and we're really uh, the the major force in promoting um, Alzheimer's research. A second thing that we do for those folks who might be listening and who need some kind of help or support is so we have a helpline eight hundred two seven two three nine zero zero, and it's a twenty four seven helpline, and there are masters level social workers, clinicians, people who are really experts in Alzheimer's. They can communicate in 200 different languages if need be. Um, And we really, uh, we have chapters, 75 chapters around the country. There are two in North Carolina, one in the Eastern North Carolina in Raleigh, the second in Western North Carolina in Charlotte. We have support groups. We have just amazing resources. So folks should go to alz.org is the website and they can find a host of resources, including maybe most of all to raise concern and awareness. Like what is Alzheimer's? When should I be concerned? We put out a report every year called Facts and Figures. And it's actually the the U.S. government relies on the Alzheimer's Association's Facts and Figures report for all the facts about uh, how prevalent it is, how much it's costing, how many caregivers they are. Uh, on a state by state basis, you know what's the growth rate? What is the uh, how many how many uh, geriatric doctors do we need? All of that is in a report that you can see online. And then another thing that we do at the Alzheimer's Association is advocacy. So uh, uh, we have uh, huge um, efforts. We make huge efforts with members of Congress, in particular, to ensure that funding for Alzheimer's research is um, increased. So actually, if you look uh, 10 years ago, Alzheimer's research was 500 million a year. And we have had, you know, in part because of how prevalent Alzheimer's is, but in part because the science has advanced, you fast forward to today, today, it's seven times more. So the National Institute of Health will spend $3.5 billion in 2022 on Alzheimer's research, including the, the grant that went to UNC to establish this center. And by the way, for uh, your listeners, you know, one of the, there, so there are 33 Alzheimer's centers around the country. 
there are 19 states that don't have a center. And if there isn't a center close to you, it's going to be really hard to participate in the cutting edge trial. So our efforts to establish new centers, and we're so proud of what Duke and UNC are doing together at their center, uh, really uh, bear fruit. And then finally, another theme to our work is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So for reasons that um, the doctors can't explain, two-thirds of the people who have Alzheimer's are women. Similarly, for reasons they can't explain, if you're African-American, you're about twice as likely as a Caucasian to get Alzheimer's. If you're Hispanic, you're about one and a half times more likely to get Alzheimer's than if, than if you're white. So the problem then is we can't do trials with a bunch of white guys for a disease that's mostly women, that's largely African-American and uh, disproportionately African-American and Hispanic. So we've got to reach these underserved communities. And that is a good example for why we were able to get NIH to launch this new center for Duke and UNC. And you heard from Dr. Whitson and Dr. Garden, the efforts outreach that they're making and including NCCU and including UNC Pembroke and making efforts also in the rural parts of North Carolina, all of that is, um, is essential. So, you know, our dream is a world without Alzheimer's and all other dementia. That's our, our mission. And, um, you know, we are focused on doing everything we can to making that uh, come to reality. Dean, could you, you talk a little bit about the the outreach, the advocacy? I would imagine that's got to be 90 percent of, of the goal here is really just getting the awareness up. Um, what are some of the like uh, organizations or associations that y'all partner with? Um, I think the National Institute of Aging, I saw y'all do a lot of work with them. What are some other ways that, you know, maybe people can can reach out if a center or that resource isn't kind of near them? Yeah, so the um, the Alzheimer's Association, um, we have partnerships with many groups around the country. We have partnerships with the AME churches. We have partnerships with um, uh, predominantly African-American fraternities and sororities. We just recently entered into a partnership with the Human Rights Campaign, one of the main LBGTQ groups in the country. So, um, and um, we have many partnerships, by the way, with uh, the Asian American community. So many healthcare organizations, unfortunately, because of COVID and because it's hard to raise the money, they kind of have become national and they've kind of withdrawn from communities. We've, we've put a lot of uh, effort and and um, and money, quite frankly, into going into communities deeper, because we know that you know uh, if if you live in North Carolina, if the closest Alzheimer's chapter is in Virginia, that that's really not of any use to you. It's got to be in your local community. So uh, another example of how we partner is so we have the Walk to End Alzheimer's, which is uh, a national event, uh, different. Um, in each community, it's usually, it's on a different day, and you can go on the ALZ.org website or just Google Walk to End Alzheimer's. There'll be one in Raleigh, there'll be one in Durham, there'll be walks probably in 10 or 15 um, places in North Carolina. And e each of those walks at the grassroots level, you know, because again, Alzheimer's is so prevalent, so many people are impacted by it. Uh, uh, people from all these different community groups come and participate. And, and also, also say this, most of the people who participate with the Alzheimer's Association, they have a loved one living with them uh, who, who has Alzheimer's because the cost of care is astronomical, just off the charts. Um, so we know, for example, that 25% of the people who are caring for someone with Alzheimer's are also caring for someone who doesn't have Alzheimer's, a child, um, uh, uh, a grandchild, um, uh, a parent caring for both a, grand a grandchild and a, and a child. So the, the burdens that, the, unfortunately, Alzheimer's hits families. It doesn't really just hit the person who has it. It, it, it really, it's devastating. It hits the entire family. And, you know, what we're focusing on is making sure people know that they're not alone. I know I thought I was alone. I was 
couldn't be more wrong. There's 6 million people going through it just the same time that I was. You're not alone. And most of all, there's hope. There's not unreasonable hope. There's not crazy hope. There's serious hope. You know, the government and the Alzheimer's Association and the, you know, all these great scientific groups are all focused on finding treatments for this disease. You know, it's kind of amazing, right? Duke and UNC are the two great hospitals, two of the best hospitals in the world. And they it's only now in 2022 that they have the funding to start this Alzheimer's Center. And just imagine, as uh, Coach K and Coach Williams said in their videos, imagine what Duke and UNC working together instead of competing with each other. Imagine what those two great medical centers can do when they're working you know, together in close collaboration with one another. It's uh, exciting. Thanks for all the work that you do, Dean. It's, it's, it's really, you know, pivotal and, and, and crucially important for this horrible disease. And, and I know it's a labor of love for you and, and, and something that maybe you probably wish you didn't have to be involved with. But thank you for giving back the way that you have. I, I did want to, you know, follow up on your, your call out to the walk to end Alzheimer's. There is one in, in the Triangle raleigh durham that's going to happen um it's in october um october 15th um you know like like dean said you can go on alz.org or, or just google walked in alzheimer's um there uh, i did also want to kind of bring us back to june now because i know this is alzheimer's awareness month and and, and june 21st is coming up in, in just five days and that's the longest day and if you can kind of just let us let our readers know like the significance of June 21st, as well as June overall for the Alzheimer's awareness effort. Thanks so much, Adam. So one of the things about the Alzheimer's Association is we meet people where they are. Like if someone uh, is great on Facebook and has a zillion friends and they want to rate and, you know, they want, they're really great at raising money. We have a, and they want to be in a big walk. That's great. Other people are bike riders and they really want to be in a, you know, 30 mile bike ride. And they're interested in using that as a way to make money for all for raise money for Alzheimer's. That's great. We have the ride to end Alzheimer's. And then we have kind of this uh, other event called the longest day on June 21st every year. And the way the longest day works is it's up to you. If there's you, whatever your passion is, uh, you want to have a basketball marathon. Uh, we did that when I was at Duke for muscular dystrophy. Um, you want to have a basketball marathon, go play basketball, get people to sponsor you. That's great. Uh, you you like to play, you know, bridge or some card game, get people to sponsor you. You can do that. So it's, um, in, you know, uh, instead of us having all the answers of what people, how people want to uh, what their hobbies are, you know, uh, the longest day is an opportunity for people to create their own fundraisers for this great cause. And if you want to participate in that, you can go on, uh, just Google uh, the longest day Alzheimer's and you can enter uh, where you live and you can find who else is doing fundraising and you will be surprised and amazed at how uh, many people are into this and how many different things they're doing. And if you want to do something, just go ahead and, you know, it's very easy to do. I should also say for the walk, Adam and I were texting back and forth. Adam is so awesome. And he said, you know, I want to do something. What can I do for Alzheimer's? And I said, okay, Adam, here's what you can do. Uh, start a walk team. Uh, you can have, you know, a team in the walk uh, in, in honor of your dad and, um, and then maybe tweet about it or something. So within 15 seconds, uh, you know, the, instantly Adam had his own team in the walk uh, to end Alzheimer's in Raleigh. And, um, um, you know, people can, if they don't want to have their own team, uh, I immediately joined Adam's team. Um, and, um, you know, we are, 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 we're totally equal opportunity. It's we'll meet you wherever you are. We have people that give, you know, a million dollars and God bless them. They're um, dedicated and they have the resource to do it. And we have people who raise, you know, $30 and we support all of them. And we're happy to have 
um, the support that we get. And it's, it's sad, again, because Alzheimer's is so prevalent. Alzheimer's doesn't care whether you're wealthy or poor. It doesn't care whether you're a UNC fan or a Duke fan, Democrat or Republican. None of that matters uh, when it comes to Alzheimer's. And um, um, so you can, you can raise money or you can be a donor, or you can, if you want to just come to the walk, uh, I think if you donate a hundred dollars, you get a t-shirt. Um, and, uh, and it's, a, uh, the walk is an inspiring event. And, uh, to anyone who's thinking about participating because they have a family member with Alzheimer's, the easiest thing in the world to do is to go to the walk and you'll be welcomed. Uh, you'll be greeted warmly and, you know, you're one of us. If you have a family member who had Alzheimer's or has Alzheimer's or you're worried that someone does, you'll be welcomed into our community with open arms. And I would just add to, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, Dean would, would echo that of if, even if you don't, right? Like those are the people that, you know, unfortunately we kind of live in a world where you don't care about autism until it's your child, or you don't know yeah. about substance use until it's you or someone you love and the same with everything else. Right. And I think, you know, what I was most impressed of is how intentional the association has been and getting in communities and really trying to do that, that outreach, because when I hear you talk about those statistics of, you know, how kind of historically marginalized populations are so affected by this. And I'm just looking at kind of the last 50 years or so of this, of how far behind we are and, you know, maybe where we could have been if we were doing this kind of level of work sooner. Um, so, you know, thanks again for, for, for all of that stuff. Um, you know, I know at the end, before we get out of here, I did want to ask briefly, we talked a little earlier, what sort of stuff is kind of going on as it relates to kind of like legislative policy stuff that maybe we could get involved in or just to, for awareness for our listeners? Uh, thanks so much, Josh. So there's a lot of federal legislation, important federal legislation that, um, we would love to have your listeners involved in. First, every year, the federal government goes through the appropriations process and they have to decide how much money to dedicate to all these different causes. And all of our members of Congress are so busy and they hear from people. And we know that if we don't get Alzheimer's front and center, that, you know, we'll, um, you know, we, we could um, lose ground and we obviously don't want to do that. One of the things that's different about Alzheimer's is it's one of three diseases where the scientists at NIH submit a budget request to Congress. So the scientist, not a politician, uh, tells Congress, this is how much we need in order to have an effective treatment for Alzheimer's by 2025. So remember I said that we've gone from 500 million in funding to 3.5 million in funding. And this year we have a request in again, developed by the scientists for another $229 million. That's one important area, obviously. A second area is, um, is this uh, issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we know that there, we have to do more to ensure that the people who really have Alzheimer's in disproportionate numbers are the people who are in these trials, are the people who are, are um, being served by NIH. So we have a piece of legislation called the ENACT Act where we're asking Congress to pass a law that would do a few different things. One, it would require NIH to ensure that they're doing this kind of outreach. But the second thing it would do, which is perhaps even more important, is we wanna open more of these centers. Just the way we have this new center at Duke and UNC, You know, there are 19 states that don't have any center at all, big states. South Carolina and Virginia each don't have a center. New Jersey and Delaware don't have a center. You know, places that have uh, um, minority, significant minority populations. And um, I know from my own experience with my mom, if uh, living in New Jersey, I would have had to uh, taken her either to New York City or Philadelphia to participate in research. That's totally out of the question. So we, want, we need more of these centers, and that's something that the legislation would do. For folks who want to know how to get involved, and we also, by the way, have a lot of initiatives at the state level in uh, lobbying our state legislatures to do more on the state level for Alzheimer's. All of that work is done through our um, a, a subsidiary organization called the Alzheimer's Impact Movement, or AIM. So if you go on Google and Google 
Alzheimer's Impact Movement. Their website will come up. There, um, there's uh, the the two chapters in North Carolina have uh, public policy P, uh, staff members who are, and they are constantly in touch with the key policy um, makers and bringing in people. And and basically, what you do when you lobby on an Alzheimer's related issue is you just tell your story. And it's so important for members of Congress and members of the state legislature and the governor and people in the health department to hear the actual stories of what it's like for a family member dealing with it and why it's so important. And that is, in my experience, everyone's story intersects at various, in various points, but everyone's story is a little bit different. And telling those stories is so powerful. And that, that's the way we have um, really increased the funding with NIH is by bringing in advocates. So we have an event in Washington, D.C. every year where people come. Uh, this year, uh, it was held uh, last month. There were 700 people from all 50 states who came to Washington, D.C. And then together, we all went on Capitol Hill to meet with our members of Congress and to tell our story. So we would love to have folks get involved that way. Again, it's through the, the Alzheimer's Impact Movement. Great example of community healing, right? That's kind of what this is. It's creating a culture for that. Um, you know, and, and again, Dean, thanks so much for setting all of this up and really spearheading this. Um, before we get out of here, though, Adam, would you talk a little bit more just kind of about, you know, how you got involved in the initiative and what you got going on? I want to make sure um, our listeners that might be a little more local could check that out. Yeah, like I said earlier, my dad has, is an Alzheimer's sufferer. Um, he's recently put into a, a memory care home. I uh, was fortunate, obviously, to be able to have the resources and, and forethought. My mom um, got long-term care insurance when, when my dad and her were, were, were younger. And so that's, that's covering the full, the full cost of this home, which I know is very out of reach for a lot of people. So I'm really grateful for her for that. She was a primary caregiver for my dad for a long period of time um, and probably longer than she should have, um, partially due to resources, but also um, COVID. Uh, she didn't want to put my dad in a home when she couldn't visit him or couldn't have anybody visit him. Um, and my sister and, and my mom have done a really good job of, of making sure that my dad is felt safe. And, and comfortable and taken care of while he's going through this disease. And, and I want to do, I'm a little bit farther out of the picture than they are. I want to do anything I can to support the cause to, to find a cure for this disease because it is awful. Um, and I know all of us on here have been affected by it. And I, I really, I just hope that we can do something in the future to, to stop this from happening to people. Um, like, like Dean said, I've got a team, Team Groovy, that was my dad's nickname, whether he liked it or not. Uh, you can look that up on the, the Walk 10 Alzheimer's, um, Team Groovy, or you can look up my name, Adam Rowe, President Walker. Um, Dean's part of our team. Thank you so much for being the first donator. I've got a personal goal to raise $1,000 on that team walk. Uh, hopefully we can get $2,000 together for the whole team, if not more. Uh, we'll put the link in the podcast description and, and you feel compelled or can spare a few dollars here and there. Really appreciate it. And it's going to go almost a hundred percent to the cost. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in the area or, you know, obviously we have a lot of listeners, a lot of people over at the devil's den that, that know Adam, he's, he's been there a long time. So, um, you know, check that out, get involved, even if it's just spreading the word, sharing a link, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the usual places, you know, someone that, you know, <laughs> knows, right. Someone that, you know, is experiencing this stuff. Um, you know, we're all just kind of one doorstep away from this thing. And, you know, it is scary. Adam, you talked about your dad and, you know, that's, I'm really glad that you had that opportunity where your mom knew not to put him in as COVID. My grandma went in, in like November of 2019. Uh, so I saw her on her birthday of February 8th of 2020. And I saw her for the first time again, about four weeks ago. You know, and it's Ooh. it's devastating because I walk in there and I'm thinking, 
the people here don't really understand what COVID is. So you just, all of a sudden, no one's coming to see you, right? No one's there. Um, and it's it's not far removed from 1800s institutionalization, right? We're just kind of putting people in there and we don't know what to do. The the staffs aren't really aware and no fault of CNAs. They're phenomenal. We, we just need more. We need more information, more awareness, more support. Um, so, you know, thanks for Adam for what you got going on. Thanks again, Dean, for setting this up and uh, letting us be a small part and sharing that story. Oh, thanks so much. All right. Well, we want to thank everyone again for coming on, especially uh, Dean Brenner, Dr. Heather Whitson, Dr. Gwen Garden, uh, for really coming in and talking to us about the research and you know the outreach, the advocacy, awareness, what's going on with Alzheimer's uh, right now. Again, June being Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Uh, I talked a little bit about the longest day. And if you have time, go check those guys out. We'll put some links in the podcast description. Check out the videos from Coach K, Coach, Coach Williams on those. And, uh, and definitely go look at Adams. Uh, he's got a walk coming up October 15th. Um, if you're in the area, you know, check that out. Shout him out. Um, and, and, yeah, just thanks again for, for setting that up. It was an honor to, to do that and be a part of that. And so um, hopefully you all enjoyed that. I'm sure that you probably know someone that's been affected by this as well. Um, so, you know, with, with that said, we'll, we'll, you know, as always, we'll keep the, keep the faces strong and the verve high. Go Duke.